actually this year was the first year that we have like a physical space on campus but last year we were kind of like starting it up and we did it all virtually but yeah for this space we really wanted it to be like comforting so we have a lot of different teas and coffees that are like asian um from like h mart and then we also have like quick tea which is like chai it's so good it's literally <laughs> and then we have um, snacks for people to use, take if they want. We have a mini refrigerator if you want to store things. We also had some colts in there earlier, but like they're gone now, it's fine. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course like a microwave for people to use, and then the water boiler, which is water always boiler. water boiler, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we have the bulletin board on top of this, which like any student organization can add their stuff. Like over on the right side, we have like all of them, and on the left side, it's like or, uh, people in this like identity spaces center as well as our events and. Um, like guides to using the space and stuff. We wanted it to look um, as like comforting and like welcoming as possible. So we actually had like a little architecture meeting thing with the people who made this with a lot of different student representatives. And um, so this is all like student chosen slash like influence. Like for example, these um, called, like trapezoidal tables. We wanted that so that like, you could arrange them around the space. Like if you have meetings. Um, so all of this was just like from student From the Emory Wheel, I'm Gabriella Lewis. This is Wheel Talk. Welcome to Wheel Talk Season 2. We're back this year on campus with more stories and voices. Don't forget to subscribe to never miss an episode. If you want more audio journalism from The Wheel, check out our brand new show, Within the Margins, a conversational opinion podcast telling the untold stories of communities on Emory's campus. Out Now is their first ever episode discussing what it means to be a Black Southerner. And on Thursday, check out the first installment of their series on non-binary students. Within the Margins is available everywhere, just like Wheel Talk. As for this week's episode of Wheel Talk, we're discussing identity spaces on Emory's campus. Assistant Multimedia Editor and News Reporter Yulia Ahn sat down with us to discuss the brand new Asian Student Center space and the uphill battle of student advocacy that birthed its creation. In addition, we discussed with administrators and students the $750,000 summer remodels of previously established affinity spaces and what the investment means to marginalized communities. So without further ado, welcome back to Wheel Talk. Yulia, you've been covering identity spaces here at Emory um, and, you know, the kind of the creation and changes that have happened in the past year or so with these. Can you just tell us, Blanket, a little bit about the affinity spaces that we have here at Emory? Right, absolutely. So this year we officially have five um, affinity spaces, identity spaces, the Asian Student Center space, Center for Women space, Central Latinx space, Emory Black Student Union space, and the LGBT life space. And basically anyone, everyone is welcome in these spaces, but they're created for um, students who specifically like identify with these different identities. And it's a place where they can study, they can can rest typically all of them have places where like you can like get food or also prepare that type of stuff um i know a lot of the spaces just have like books or resources for students that they can take like without anyone there um and I, each center has like someone from staff or an emory like faculty or staff member that's also there as a resource for students um yeah so they're housed in the amunk the very bottom ground floor but in a couple of years in fall 2023 they're all going to be moved to where the cox ballroom is right now on the third floor 
recently, just this summer, with all the renovations and the knowledge that there's going to be a move, the Asian Student Center space was officially open and created while the rest of them were remodeled. And according to the university, this remodeling costs about $750,000 and the Cox Ballroom is going to be an estimate, estimated cost of $15 million. So, Yulia, there's a quite diverse history of these spaces here at Emory. Just give us a rundown of what's the history of the spaces, when were they created, why, um, and then what has it looked like since then? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the first two spaces were created in the early 90s, Office of LGBT Life. That official office was in the fall of 1991. And then the Center for Women was established in 1992. Uh, Two years after, the front page of the wheel reported that there were two on-campus rape incidents on February 6, 1990, and um, it's just been mentioned that just basically a lot of women on campus were advocating that there needs to be a space where female students can feel space or female identifying students. And then we took a very, very long break, um, and the next student space wasn't really created until the early 2010s, the Emory Black Student Union, and that emerged out of many difficult community conversations following when, in 2012, University President James W. Wagner said that the three-fifths compromise of the U.S. Constitution was a model for how people who disagree can, quote, work together for a common goal. Yeah, so clearly after that comment was shared, there was extreme controversy following it from many black students and other students. Um, And following that, there was advocacy that there should be a space for black students as well to have on campus. Following about two years later, seeing as the Emory Black Student Union was realized a lot of Latinx students also wanted a space for themselves and it's this was the Central Latinx and it was originally located on the second floor of the West Duck Um, and a lot of students called it a symbolic welcome mat and an invitation from the university to consider the campus a home and then speaking on this topic of home a lot of Asian students are calling the Asian student center space this as well. So yeah, um, Asian students have been for the past couple of years the second biggest group behind white students here on campus. And for example, this class of 2025, about 22% of them are Asian or Asian identifying, second to only 31% identifying as white students. Um, So there's definitely this concern about why this affinity space, this Asian Student Center, had not yet been created and had not yet existed for a very large part of the Emory community in campus, which is why a lot of people are calling it a home. And so there was a lot of student advocacy in one of those crucial voices was Stephanie Zhang, whom we sat down with. She's a current senior, former student ambassador, and former president of the Asian American Pacific Islander Desi activist. So I think in 2018, when I started at Emory, um, I joined APIDA, which is Asian Pacific Islander Desi American Activists. And at that time, I think it was just called APISA. So it was like Asian Pacific Islander Student Activists. And we were like thinking about our needs at Emory and why sort of we really felt just like disconnected from a lot of other Asian American students. And it like, we sort of came together and just figured out the fact that, you know, Asian Americans are not really being supported. Mm -hmm. There's like nowhere we can really turn to. Um, Like, as an unchartered organization, we just didn't have anywhere to put our money. Like, we didn't really have a place to go to for an advisor. Mm -hmm. There was no Asian American studies at Emory. And, like, as a group, we wanted to learn more about, you know, 
not just our heritage cultures like as being people from Asia, but like the culture of Asian Americans who have, you know, really contributed to the US society. Yeah. And you know, Emory's campus has a ton of Asian Americans and Asian international students, yeah. but it really felt like there wasn't a space for us to think about our identities more politically. And so, like, the organization was a great sort of foundation to be able to have those conversations, but we realized that we needed more in terms of, like, material stuff. So, like, material mm -hmm. resources. Like, so who do we ask specifically for, like, Asian American scholarships? Yeah. If there's, like, such a high, you know, issue with mental health in Asian American communities, like, where are the Asian American specific resources in CAPS? Um, if there's such a, like, high amount of Asian Americans on campus, like, then why can't we have access to, like, Patel Bros or go to H-Mart? Like, there's no buses that go there. Um, and so it was, like, through all these conversations where we were finding a lack that we were, like, okay, we need more resources. And I think a good idea for a first point of, like, advocacy would to get a center. Because, mm -hmm. like, Emory's, you know, Asian American population has been around, like, 20 to 25 percent right. for the last five years. Yeah. And at that point, we were like, well, we don't have a center and we don't have resources and our identities aren't really legitimized on campus. Mm -hmm. And so this is like a great spot to start, you know, our advocacy. But this was also the time where Professor Su, so Chris Su in the history department got hired. And like a couple of us were able to make it to his, you know, um, the talks that he held before he was hired. And we were like, okay, cool. We like this guy. And like, he does a lot of work in Asian America stuff. And we were like, okay, this could be our faculty advisor. And essentially he was telling us, you know, the administration is already in the works to renovate a lot of like the student spaces in the AMUC already oh, okay. because they're trying to save face from like the three-fifths compromise thing that like the previous president had said you know and to give off this like <laughs> um i guess impression that emory you know is a progressive school yeah. in the south mm -hmm. right like they were already going to renovate these spaces and then he told us well you know they're already doing this you should make sure that asian americans are also like included in this conversation around space renova renovations mm -hmm. and the importance of identity spaces. We were more strategic about how we were presenting, you know, our demands and why they were important. So, for example, we had talked a lot about why, you know, Emory is trying to improve its rankings. Um, and if we compare, you know, Emory versus schools that Emory's trying to be like, so like Northwestern or Brown or like Yale, you know, these like higher ranked schools, they all have Asian student centers and they all have, you know, either it's around the same Asian American population yeah. mm -hmm. or less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then it was like, you know, if you want to improve your rankings, like you should probably give stuff to, you know, a student population that's pretty large on your campus. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that we really talked about was Emory has struggles with alumni retention. And, you know, why is that? It's because nobody really feels like a connection or a home to Emory, specifically Asian American students, because, you know, the university hasn't really been doing anything for our groups to feel, you know, like we have a home or we have a space to come back to, right? Um, so we told them that, you know, this could help, you know, alumni retention. Late winter 2019 yeah. and then spring 2020 mm -hmm. is like we were having conversations about the creation of an Asian student center and also like the renovations of the other identity spaces. Um, but they were like, oh, you know, the pandemic hit. This might not happen. Like we might not have the resources to do this. Like 
you know, everything is on pause now. The university is trying to, you know, like get its like it lost a lot of money from students who just went home. So mm-hmm. they're trying to like figure that out, yeah. trying to figure out, you know, other budget stuff. Like it and you know, at the end of the day, like the way that the budget for campus life and specifically the office for race that runs all these like um, centers, it depends on like what the trustees decide to do. So a lot of like this budget stuff is out of like our hands as students. All Mm -hmm. we can do is like make the requests. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was really up in the air for a while until I think like over during the pandemic, like the new president, Fenvis, he like all the spaces and then like because of all the racial reckoning stuff whatever that happened over the summer um they were like okay you know we need we should give these students a center you know like at the end of the day because I feel like if they didn't they would just get so much like flack yeah as like the university so they Mm -hmm. did give it to us which was really nice but I think most private universities run as businesses so it's always like a toss-up between is this like a business investment that you can attract more students Mm -hmm. with and that you can like you know use on your diversity promos and all this other stuff or is this like maybe you genuinely care about your students needs but I feel like it's always a toss-up between the two yeah for sure Beyond the creation of the Asian Student Center space, which Stephanie talked to us a lot about, what were these renovations and what was the impetus to actually create these renovations? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm sure everyone can remember just the summer of reckoning that was August 2020, like June through August 2020. Um, And that was also the same summer that our current university president, Gregory Fenves, was onboarded as our incoming president. And um, we were sent an email that summer after he had toured all of these AMUG spaces and he saw just how desolate, how much needed renovations um, was required. And he talked a lot about um, pushing to care about the list of not only black student demands for the community, but also for many other students who feel marginalized and oppressed. And then after 2020, not only were renovations promised and a lot of money pledged into it, there was also the announcement that it would all be renovated and moved out to Cox. So to reiterate, basically, the university, after the black student demands and uh, racial reckoning that we have in the summer of 2020, uh, decides that they need to re-up their investment for students of color. And this comes in the form of physical spaces. And, you know, kind of from what we've talked about as also the what we've heard from students is, you know, this physical space really matters, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's not just about having clubs or other things. Having a physical space where you can get together is crucial for community, for advancement, for kind of everything. Yeah. I think it just ties into the whole fact that like you are seen, you are acknowledged by the university because a lot of these clubs and organizations are student run. And Mm -hmm. so obviously it comes from the grassroots student level, but to feel like you're seen, to feel like you're visible and represented in an actual very tangible way by the university, I think is extremely impactful. Absolutely. So tell us more about that tangibleness. What do these renovations actually change? A lot of students were actually finally involved in this process. There was a lot of student input who talked with the um, outside 
designers and renovators and a big thing that you will notice if you walk through any of these spaces are the change of color schemes and we actually heard more about this process from a couple of campus life administrators malcolm robinson assistant director of the for the office of race who works directly with the black student union said i mean don't mention this that a lot of the changes were mostly um, cosmetic they weren't structural like the bones of the spaces are still what they were before um, it just looks different uh, for the EBSU, I mean, that change has really just been um, uh, having more functional furniture in the space and having the layout be uh, something that makes a little more sense for the programming that students have been doing in the space and the programming that they want to use that space for. Um, I think what we're seeing, at least right now, I mean, it's still early in the semester, but um, it's becoming a place where Black students can kind of start to build community. So outside of the Black Student Union, um, and the BCJ suite uh, in the student center. There really isn't um, other space on campus for that to happen. The BSA house um, is an option, but it's kind of, it's not centrally located for a lot of different student populations. So um, having this space in the AMUC has really been helpful uh, in terms of just bringing Black students together so that they can think about different ways to engage one another and make connections. Jackie Valise, program coordinator of the Office of LGBT Life discussed. I think half of the folks um, are returning students, and so they know what the space looked like before. And for those folks, it really is um, rewarding or like fulfilling and just reassuring to know that Emory cares and Emory is going to to take care of them in this way and making sure that they have a space that feels like it's not an afterthought. Um, and for the students who are brand new, I think for them, it just makes sense that this space looks as good as it does. They're like, this is an institution that values social justice. So it makes sense that these institutions, these spaces look the same way that this brand new student center space did. So I think, Ilio, at the end of the day, and my last question here is, what does this mean? Like, what does the creation and the renovation of these spaces signify for students, for admin, and for marginalized communities here on campus? Well, I mean, all of last year, I think all the affinity spaces were basically closed or they were not at all advertised to any students on campus. And again, the only students on campus were first years who were isolated, who were doing clubs and organizations on Zoom. There was no way any of these freshmen would have even known like any upperclassmen who could have directed them to these spaces and again they were closed so i think again it's just like a revitalization a reopening of the spaces in general and for a place to everyone to meet in person albeit still with masks but still celebrating each other and discussing with each other sharing food with each other um and being proud of what everyone stands for and what everyone brings to those types of spaces um and i think again this innovation just shows the investment that this university is trying to show to students that even if we're going to be moving in the next two years for everyone who's going to be here for the next two years you want to make it still worth it that you shouldn't be like waiting a little bit longer to finally get the space that you already deserve it should be well taken care of right now and we also asked in our interviews with students what does this investment signify to you and the communities that you identify with alexis mayfield a graduate assistant for the center of women said these spaces these identity spaces the center for women included is they're all a result of like student activism and students, you know, rallying for spaces that are affirming, for spaces that feel like home, for spaces that um, really carving out spaces for students who are marginalized at the university as a whole. As a whole, and so the fact that these spaces get refreshed and revitalized, it's just a reminder that 
this even happened because we do great work in these spaces um, and that students are really at the forefront of making things happen. And so the way that it kind of changes my job is mostly it fires me up to see like, what can we do next? What more can we push the university to focus on? How can we help people who are administrators recognize the needs Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Wheel Talk and hearing from administrators and students about why identity spaces matter to them and what this investment means to our community. Don't forget to share, rate, and subscribe to Wheel Talk and the Wheel's brand new podcast, Within the Margins. Both podcasts are available wherever you usually listen. Wheel Talk is produced by Kaylin Chin, Nanad Kulkarni, Catherine Eniesue, Carly Cullen, and myself, Gabriella Lewis. Music courtesy of Pond5 and cover art by Kaylin Shin.